0: welcome to this endo life season oh wait there's no season sorry it's just episode 19 i'm jessica Duffin, and this podcast is all about bringing you guests who are battling endometriosis and related conditions in their own unique ways and are changing the lives of others with their amazing work so as you can tell by my confusion a minute ago i'm back today with a special one-off episode i don't really know where it falls between (laughs) seasons but I'm bringing it to you today to raise awareness of the We Matter ACOG campaign. This campaign has been launched by a social worker, Casey Burner, Heather Guidone, who is part of the Endometriosis Research Centre and Centre for Endometriosis Care, and Shannon Cohen of the Endo What Film. I wanted to do this special one-off episode today because these incredible women are protesting on Thursday the 5th and Friday 6th of April, so that's tomorrow once this is released, Um, In Washington, outside the ACOG headquarters. And they're inviting you to join them in person and online. So today we're chatting about the standard of treatments for those with endometriosis. What needs to change and how patients can and are leading the way for better endometriosis care. This is such an interesting interview because firstly, the women are, they're all so passionate and educated um, and know exactly what we need um, from the treatment and exactly what's lacking from the treatment and care that we have today. Um, So it's really interesting in terms of educating ourselves and finding out what we should be entitled to um, and what we deserve but it's also so empowering to hear how these women are leading the way for patients to start shaping their treatment So if you are interested in joining the protest or signing the petition or getting involved online, um, we talk about how to get involved in the interview and I've just put a few links in the show notes so you can just hop over to the show notes there. So yeah, here they are. I hope you enjoy and I hope you get involved in whatever way you can if you'd like. So I thought um, it would, because there's three of you and I don't want listeners to get confused, <laughs> I thought it'd be really good to start with introductions. Um, and sure. you've all got really interesting like jobs and backstories as to how you work with endometriosis. So I thought it'd be really interesting if you could tell us a little bit about what you do and how you've come to work with endometriosis. Um,
1: any preference who start? <laughs> Whoever's feeling brave. Let's let Casey start. Okay, go ahead, Casey. All right, um, I
2: am a endometriosis patient um, and I'm also a social worker. and after going through my own journey to try to get adequate care and after sort of navigating my own obstacles to care and learning just about, how devastating endometriosis can be on both a physical and emotional level, I decided to try to use my social work skills, put them to good use in the endometriosis community. So I've been an advocate
0: and a counsellor in the community um, for the past few years. That's really interesting to me um, and something that I wanted to touch upon with you Um, because my background, well, part of my background, because I have a very strange mixed background um, was working with um, young homeless people for about five years and one of the issues I came up against was some of them had very complex needs Um, and we had one particular um, young girl who had a lot of psychological issues but also physical health issues and it took a very long time for the doctors and I mean years to realise that she had endometriosis but they were telling her it was psychosomatic and on top of some very very intense issues that were going on um it it really led down quite a it just spiraled out of control really because they were they were saying it was so much in her head and I find that there's not that much support on the social care side of things especially in the UK for example it's not you know it's not acknowledged as um, needing support if you if you wanted to get benefits like sick pay you couldn't get something like that like benefits over here so you're not also not entitled to the same level of support that other people may have if they've got other complex needs um, so I just wondered how you know the kind of support that you're putting in place in your work and how that's being helping and whether we could kind of mirror something like that over here because there seems to be a massive lack of support systems here
2: yes i mean i think it's a it's really a challenge on a global scale and we certainly see those challenges here a lot of patients are dismissed their pain is seen as psychosomatic their pain is seen as on their heads and unfortunately there's just a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to endometriosis not only throughout society as a whole but throughout the medical community Mm -hmm. so i think Even if all of the doctors were on board and all of the proper policies were set in place to educate doctors and educate patients, and patients were able to get the social support they need, the disability pay they need, um, endometriosis would by nature be a challenging disease. But because there's such a lack of education among the medical community, among society, and a lack of resources, it just makes this disease especially challenging to combat on an individual level.
0: Yeah, and another question which I appreciate you may not know the answer to, but a couple of years ago I ran into a head teacher who works at um, – she runs a school for autism for young girls. And they've written a few books to help the girls navigate puberty. And issues like this have come up in, in my mind of, well – for people who do have complex learning disabilities or other support needs, trying to it's hard enough for you know everyone to be heard, especially as a woman. we know there's like the gender pain gap and there's discrimination um and we find it hard enough to communicate our needs and our symptoms and be heard. And then if you've got the added issues of perhaps autism or other learning issues, I feel like there must be such a huge number of people falling through the gap. Um, And perhaps that's something that needs to also be looked at moving forward.
2: Absolutely. It's really sad that we haven't even begun to really have conversations because there's such a need in the community that we haven't. To my knowledge, I don't know, maybe Heather or Shannon could chime in, but to my knowledge, you know, we're just trying to elevate the basic level of care for everyone. But there yeah. are certainly people who, especially, fall through the gaps because of other challenges that they are facing and um, because of uh, a lack of resources that they have on top of having endo.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, we'll obviously talk about the campaign that you're working on um, further into the interview, but I think just starting with elevating our treatment and being heard is obviously going to make a huge difference going forward but I've never had an opportunity to talk to a social worker about this so it's just something that I'm really fascinated about and thank you so much for the work that you are doing around it oh
2: well I'm so happy to be having this discussion with you
0: so um Heather um yes would you like to talk a little bit about um what you do and I know you're involved with is it the endo research center
1: um, actually, I, uh, I volunteer my time to the ERC, and I have since they were founded about 22 years ago. Uh, the ERC is a nonprofit charity, so I have volunteered my time to them uh, in in several capacities over the years, uh, but my, my primary position and, and my, my quote-unquote day job uh, is with the Center for Endometriosis Care, and we are a specialty practice, a specialty treatment center, and um, but even before, I've been with the CEC for about 15 years now, but even before that, um, you know, I have really long been involved in in the endometriosis community um, in multiple capacity. You know, I work with a lot of... Cross collaborations, uh, a lot of projects trying to elevate and advance the disease. Um, ever since I was I was diagnosed, which is more than thirty years ago. Um, you know, initially when I was diagnosed in the late eighties, um, I was essentially alone. Nobody knew the word. Nobody understood the word. Um, you know, if we think that the, the information systems are lacking now, <laughs> picture how it was back then. Yeah, I mean, course. you have no internet, you had, you know, no widespread support groups, no resources or facilities that could really help uh, sort of educate and inform your, your decisions towards better care. So I was essentially isolated and alone, uh, like many people with the disease and, you um, you know, one of the first things that I was able to do was connect with um, the Endometriosis Association, one of the oldest associations in the world. Um, and at that time, you know, again, of course, there was no internet, no social media, nothing like that, uh, and and that was the sole source of of information, education, and connection, more importantly. Uh, so I was able to make connections through that organization, um, you know, way back when, uh, and. You know, sort of my role in the community has has really uh, grown organically, if you will, uh, over the past few decades. Um, and I've I've been very privileged, very fortunate, very honored to connect really with the thought leaders, the people who are making a difference, um, people like Casey, like Shannon, who. Sort of, we are all of one like mind for the greater good, Um, and that's very, very gratifying in a disease that can be so uh, isolating and disappointing and devastating. Um you know, my background um, is actually in writing. So it was just sort of the natural progression uh, of things to really kind of say, well, there's no education out there and what is out there is incorrect. So, you know, let's get together and, and let's really try to make a difference. Um, and I think more to, to Casey's point earlier, as she was saying, you know, the information systems are so poor and so lacking. Um, you know, The health literacy is just abominable. And, and I don't mean that I mean that at the professional and the academic levels. I mean, you can go to any leading, quote unquote, leading website. Uh, you know, the representative of, of whether the government or uh, medical organizations out there at, at any given time, and they don't even have the definition of the disease correct. So how can yeah. they get the treatments correct? Yeah. Um, so that's you know really where I come in, sort of as an educator slash subject matter expert, um, but also as an advocate and and in, in patient care, because I think that um, you know if if. if no one's going to do it. We have to do it ourselves. And that's kind of what brought us to, to this event.
0: Yeah, I mean, 100%. I think it's it's really sad that we have to, you know, it's sad in a way that we have to stand up and be our own advocates and raise yes. our voices. But at the same time, it's so empowering to see. When we look back, we're going to see such an incredible movement of people with endometriosis making change for themselves. And Absolutely. I I just think it's so powerful to be a part of and I feel really privileged to be, you know, amongst these women and people standing up for for their rights. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about the work? Because the... The Centre for Endometriosis Care, I, obviously being in the UK, I don't come across it as, as much. But, um, I, so I write for Endometriosis News and, um, I was doing some research and came across, um, the Centre for Endometriosis Care and they were talking about, um, I can't remember what the study was that I was looking into at the time, but, um, you, you guys seem to do a lot of your own research amongst your patients, um, and the information was really clearly, um, written. I just found it a really enlightening website. And oh, the fact you. that you guys were doing your own research as well was really interesting. Um, so yeah, just to hear a little bit more about, about the work that you do there.
1: Well, sure. So uh, Dr. Ken Sinervo is our medical director and the head of our practice. Uh, we also have Dr. Kongo Bossa, an endometriosis surgeon. And uh, in a couple of months, Dr. Jeff Arrington another endometriosis uh, expert surgeon will also be joining us so we have um, you know the incredible good fortune and privilege uh, really to have some of the most well-respected world-renowned surgeons uh, you know right in Atlanta uh, we treat patients from all over the world we've, we've treated more than 5,000 patients from 50 countries uh, since we were founded in 1991 Uh, But more to the treatment aspect, I mean, you can't just treat a patient and be done. Um, You know, we really care for the individual uh, for the whole picture. Um, You know, and part of caring for patients is not just doing surgery on them, but also really supporting their needs, be it educational, uh, as an advocate, helping them find their own way uh, and really being a partner with them in their care. Um, because again, you know, you can't just sort of operate in a silo and then be done. You really have to treat that whole patient. Uh, and that means her physical, spiritual, and, and sort of lifestyle needs that help her best live with the disease, uh, or cope the best she can with endometriosis. Uh, and again, you know, the CEC has also grown organically, um, You know, in the beginning when we were founded by Dr. Albee, uh, it was just he and, you know, a a partner way back then. Uh, Then Dr. Sinervo joined the practice. And and again, you know, it's sort of the organic process of growing and becoming more than just a treatment center, but really becoming a resource center, if you will, Um, and doing your research and and finding out what the patients need overall and 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 being an advocate for this disease Mm,
0: I think that's the sense that I picked up on in the on the website that you you weren't just a treatment center you really provided such a um deep overview of of the treatment and the disease and I think it was um I think I was looking into IBS symptoms and endometriosis and I think there was um You kind of tallied up how many women had complained about IBS symptoms and the types of symptoms. And it was just so interesting and it was so clear. Um, And it kind of brought chills to me when you said that, you know, you look at um, the patient's spiritual well-being and lifestyle. Because when I first had my first operation, I came round and I was still very, you know, drowsy. And they said, um, oh, yeah, it was endometriosis. But, you know, we've taken it now. It's gone. So you should be fine and i didn't oh, know what okay. it was <laughs> so they just shrugged <laughs> and then left me and oh, then goodness. and so i was like oh okay i've just got this minor thing didn't look it up didn't google it i was like it's gone now whatever it was they've taken it out so i went i lived my life for 2 years not making any changes to my lifestyle um and then you know hit a brick wall 2 years later and wondered what the hell was happening so it's so encouraging to hear when, you know, doctors and specialists are creating these centers where you can go and get the full picture of what you're dealing with. And they do want to support the whole patient, not just, you know, lay, you know, cut a bit out and then take, send you on your way. Absolutely. I I mean,
1: as much as this is a systemic disease, you have to treat it systemically. And that means through a multidisciplinary approach, both technically, practically, and also from an esoteric standpoint by saying, yes, you know, you, you are part of, of this community. You are part of the fabric of our practice and you really have to address all of those points. Otherwise you'll be lacking. Yeah.
0: A hundred percent.
2: It's terrible. I feel like I received a, My first endometriosis surgery as well was a quick ablation, and it was presented Mm -hmm. to me that, oh, yeah, you just had a little bit of endometriosis, but don't worry. Mm -hmm. You know, we got it out, and, you know, go on your way, and you'll be fine. And I think so our experiences are the experiences of patients all over the world. And what we're fighting for is for all patients to be able to be directed to places like the CEC, um, and other you know excellence where they can have more options for treatment learn more about the disease and really be treated as a whole person as opposed to um you know really getting dismissed and having a quick surgery having the majority of the disease left in and you know being sent on their way
0: yeah completely i went for my second um lap i waited a long time to to a specialist centre that did excision surgery Um, and then because they I don't have a lot of endometriosis but I have a lot of symptoms they didn't do the excision surgery they just lasered it and I have had no change in pain it's exactly it's exactly the same so you know it's um, it's really interesting and and you're asleep so there's not really anything you can do so um, what you guys are working on is so important right now um before we move on to the campaign I just wondered if Shannon are you available to talk a bit about what you do and the endo F- what film as well just to give people an overview if they hadn't seen it before
3: sure sure um okay so what do I do well okay I think we all wear a lot does of does everything stuff <laughs> <laughs> um so I mean my background I was a lawyer and Uh, really interested in social justice issues and um, changed to film and went to film school and started working at a production company, uh, working on a lot of uh, documentary films and building social movements around documentary films. And um, I've had endometriosis symptoms since I was 16. And it was, you know, I've run the classic gamut like all of us have of um, really painful periods, um, GI symptoms um, you know, extreme fatigue, and of course, being told it's all normal. Um, and I mean, I remember being 16 and, you know, alternating between, you know, hot flashes and cold sweats and would lie on my cold, you know, my bathroom floor because the tile was cool and it wow. was soothing. But at the same time, my pediatrician was saying, it's normal, you know, take more Tylenol. Um, so, I mean, it's the story of millions, really, you know. Um, so basically, to get back to, um, I guess my, my journey, I was having symptoms. I just was very fortunate to have my second daughter. Um, and I was just finishing breastfeeding her. And I read an article about how endometriosis has a seven times genetic risk of mothers to daughters and sisters as well. And I was shocked. Yeah. I hadn't
0: heard that. Yes, it's It's true. Wow.
3: And as looking at, you know, both, I have another daughter who's three years older And just looking at them who are so full of life and promise and potential and the thought of them going through the same journey I did was almost, it was just too much for me to bear. So um, that's when I said, well, what what, what can I do? Is there anything I can do to help change this narrative? And I thought, why, what, what, what about making a film? Um, Because, you know, everyone likes a movie, you know, everyone likes to be entertained. Um, so why don't I do that? And I started delving into it, reading everything I could about endometriosis and, um, starting reaching out to people and asking, you know, can I interview you? And I talked to some of the, the leading experts in the United States over a period of a couple of years and very quickly realized that my one film probably should be two films. Um, because first I realized that women don't actually have an accurate base of knowledge, Because like Heather said, they go to, you know, certain, you know, quote unquote leading websites about medical information and they're incorrect. They're inaccurate about endometriosis and they go to their doctor, their GP, and the doctor is also telling them incorrect information. So how could we break that cycle? And I thought, well, maybe we could do an end run around all of that and just give them, you know, a film that gives an accurate base of knowledge from the true endometriosis experts And, um, hopefully we can, you know, speed up that cycle of getting, you know, to the right information. So, um, so that, that kind of turned into Endo-What and, um, which we released two years ago and screened in every continent except for Antarctica, I think. So if anybody wants to screen in Antarctica, (laughs) I would love for that to happen, (laughs) um, And, you know, due to amazing partnerships and collaborations with people around the world, um, it's really taken a life of its own and still going strong. So uh, I'm really happy about that. And as an extension um, of being a filmmaker, I've really turned in, you know, also wearing a hat of an activist because there are so many injustices with this disease that I see, that we all see, and we can do something about it. So now it's taking, putting a lens on all of those and saying, okay, what do we need to do? Who can we, who can we collaborate with? How can we join together and be unified, a unified patient voice without mm-hmm. conflicts of interest from industry or um, other parties mm-hmm. and really put patients first so that we can finally get the help and the change that we need as patients. And that um, we deserve and that
0: we deserve. I remember seeing um Andowat on your on in screening in London. Um and I don't I don't know really whether this is just my perception but I, f- I feel when it came out that there wasn't that much um awareness around lifestyle, diet, you know, dioxins in the environment, toxins, etc. And I'd been kind of on that journey for, I don't know, maybe two years prior to that. And I felt like such a a hippie weirdo for doing that. And I didn't really talk (laughs) about it. Because It's not talked about. It wasn't talked about in the UK. I don't feel anyway. Um, Perhaps I wasn't immersed enough in the community yet, but it was the focus was more on, um, you know, taking hormones and having surgery. um, And it kind of stopped there. And of course, it doesn't always work for everyone. Um, And those things didn't, you know, they didn't work for me. So when I saw Endo Watt, it was such a revelation to me because I felt like I could talk about these things and I wasn't I wasn't kind of barking up the crazy tree like it was (laughs) you know it was real it was based in evidence and I'm sure you know there is so much um kind of debate around the studies and around the truth of different research um you know, groups, and so watching the film and having experts talk about it was so reassuring because I wasn't too sure what to believe at the time. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for doing that film because I know I you said it was kind of that was the film for patients. So yeah, I just wanted to thank you for that because I think it was really eye opening for a lot of patients. Um, and I I believe, in my personal opinion, that it probably like broke that some ground in the UK with the film. Oh, that's wonderful!
3: Oh, thank you. I'm. That's really heartening and uh, exciting to hear for sure. And I mean, I did, of course. You know, those type of things like diet and alternative therapies are definitely not in the classical Western medicine model. And I did receive quite a bit of pushback for including it. Yeah. But thing is, I mean, those things worked wonders for me personally. I knew from personal experience they were true. Like having an anti-inflammatory diet. Um, that's important. People don't know that, um, no matter what, you know, what is wrong with, you know, what, what disease or syndrome or, you know, health problems you may be having. I think there's great benefit in trying to eat to reduce inflammation in your body.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. The same with chemicals, you know,
3: like I don't, whether I have endometriosis or not, I'd prefer not to have chemicals and, you know, (laughs) ingest chemicals in my body. So it seems like, you know, common sense that I could, that this film include that because the thing about including this are these are things that a woman can do and feel like she can take control because that's, you know, this is a disease where you feel powerless a lot. And you, if you feel like your life is out of control, um, because you can't stop the symptoms, you can't stop the pain, you're dependent on doctors or medicines or, um, surgery to help make you better. And sometimes that doesn't work. So what can you actually do to make things better? And that's why I thought these things were also really important to include, because those are actionable steps a woman can take to try and improve her, her symptoms and, and her life.
0: Yeah, completely. And, you know, I've, I've had so much relief from an anti-inflammatory diet. Um, and so it might not work for everyone, but it's, it's good that people have that knowledge so that they can at least try it and see if it works for them. I think that's so important.
1: I think that's true of, you know, any of the treatments, I think if, if you look at traditional Chinese medicine or acupuncture or diet and nutrition or, or even high quality surgery, um, you know, these things are not universally curative. They are not a broad panacea. You will always have someone who does not respond to the given treatment no matter how high quality it is but within that sphere you can also become empowered to do for yourself and say let me try this let me try that let me try a combination of things um, you know I think it's incredibly critical to have a high quality excisional surgery as the surgical cornerstone but we're still going to send our patients to things like pelvic floor therapy we're still going to talk to them about diet and and, and acupuncture and sort of lifestyle adjuncts, because this is, again, this is a systemic disease, so you need to approach it from a systemic solution, uh, and it is very empowering to have a hand in your own care, and you should. Um, you know, paternalistic medicine is is over. Those days are gone. Uh, patient partnership and, and engagement is is really what's going to find the solution for that individual person.
0: Yeah completely and also it benefits the the health industries as well I mean the NHS a couple of years back um, changed the way they were working and wanted to look at more preventative methods so kind of doing more education around lifestyle um, diet exercise and yet you know my specialist nurse doesn't know what the endo diet is and I had to explain it. So it just, and that's not her fault. She hasn't been, you know, she hasn't been been exposed to it. Mm -hmm. But that's just, if, if the NHS and other health bodies want to save that money and they want to prevent having to work on certain treat, you know, they want to reduce the number of treatments and patients they have, then it's actually in their interest as well to kind of start like spreading this other knowledge as well that we can, change our lifestyles and all of these different methods that could help. I mean,
1: I had never heard about, you know, a a nutritional approach or even given it any thought. And maybe that's just sort of a cultural thing and and where I was in my age at that time of my life. But I had never given a second thought to any sort of nutritional aspects until – Um, you know, Diane Shepperson-Mill's book was put in my hand in in the year 2000. So it's like, you know, this it's out there, but how do we connect patients to that education and that information? Um, And it is growing. You know, we we do see uh, centers for complementary medicine and things like that, and that's important. Uh, But I think, endo what really brings it all together in a unifying voice and says, look, you do have options. And I think that's really what's the most important thing.
0: So I'd really like to talk about the campaign now and how you guys came together um, to work on that. So it's called We Matter ACOG. Do you want to, like, firstly, for anyone who's not based in the US and kind of doesn't understand how um, your treatment system works there, do you want to kind of give an overview of the problem, which, of course, we all deal with everywhere? (laughs) How
2: much (laughs) time do we have? (laughs) There's there's a whole lot of problems. Um, I guess from a social work perspective, what I was finding is, um, I was trying to do your traditional individual therapy with patients who were struggling with endometriosis, you know, knowing how difficult endometriosis was um, for myself and knowing that having mental health support was key to to help on the, the journey with the disease. Um, and what I kept bumping into, were patients who it took them a very long time to get diagnosed. And over that time, over that delay in diagnosis, um, patients were dismissed. They um, were misdiagnosed. They often got treatments that weren't helpful and, you know, suffered physically and emotionally in the process. Some patients that I were working with before they saw a specialist, They had their ovaries removed. They had a hysterectomy. I've worked with a few patients who even lost kidneys because their disease was just dismissed for so long. And it had these life altering, um, it just, it just, all these things went wrong with their education and their social life and their relationships. And it just had this profound impact And the more I worked with patients, the more it dawned on me that as a social worker, well, I could do a lot of individual therapy with patients. But unless we're working to try to change sort of the institutional obstacles that are stopping delay in diagnosis and that are providing um, poor treatments for patients, then, you know, there's only so much help that individual therapy um, can do that we really need to, you know, change the problems at, at the root. Um, so, you know, and, and watching what and, um, you know, learning from Heather and other advocates who've been doing this um, and talking with them. And I saw that for decades, you know, advocates have been trying to change the system of where patients go to their doctor and their doctor's you know, give them, um, hormones. They don't say the word endometriosis. Um, and they've been trying to go to ACOG who provides the standards of care for many years. Right. I know that other, um, doctors and advocates have brought these issues to ACOG for a
0: long time. I was just going to say for anyone who's not, ACOG is the, um, American college of, I forget now, the obstetrics, obstetrics gynecologists just for anyone who's not based in, um, based in America.
1: ACOG is the governing body that sets forth sort of the guidelines and, you know, sort of all of the advocacy efforts surrounding women's health. They are positioned, quote unquote, as the leader and trailblazer in women's health issues. Uh, So naturally endometriosis falls under their purview, um, ACOG has been a nemesis of endometriosis for as long as I have been involved and before that. Um, you know, I remember 25 years ago leading surgeons and endometriosis specialists calling ACOG on the carpet and being critical of their complacency surrounding this disease and the way that they pander to industry and um, put the patients behind profits. Um, So this is not new, but what is new is that we're done tolerating it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we formulated um, a petition to ACOG. So in, in knowing that organizations and advocates and expert surgeons had had meetings with policymakers at ACOG saying like, listen, this has to change. These are the yeah. challenges. We have to do something about it and time and time again ACOG has done nothing. So what we heard and surmised was that well I think patients are going to have to make the noise and patients are going to have to stand up and say it is not acceptable for a 7 to 10 year diagnosis. It is not acceptable mm-hmm. acceptable that you know women are getting multiple partial and effective surgeries that aren't working, you know, we know, so there are three basic um, standards of care is first hormone treatments, which we know are associated with high pain recurrence. And then when that doesn't work, they have patients do surgery, but they don't refer to a specialist who could remove the disease from all impacted right. organs. They, you know, they don't sort of you know, do a difference between like ablation and excision, they don't set that difference, right? So most of the providers don't do the surgery that is needed. They're not trained to do proper surgery. So then you have, you know, the second care is to do surgery, which they say is related to high pain recurrence, which it is when you have surgery with a surgeon who doesn't know how to, who isn't trained, right, to treat Mm -hmm. the difficulties of endometriosis. And then the definitive. Um, treatment is a hysterectomy, which it's shocking that that's, you know, the definitive treatment when endometriosis by definition is disease outside of the uterus. So knowing that this is the standard of care that doctors are trained um, and knowing the impact physically and emotionally on on patients, um, we decided to petition ACOG to get them to change and I think we have over, we had over 7,000 signatures and a lot of providers, multidisciplinary providers signed, you know, AGL had supported the. And so it was exciting. And I talked to um, Dr. Lawrence, he called. And, you know, basically the call said, oh, you know, um, we know endometriosis is very difficult. Um, why don't you provide more research and uh, for us to, and talk to me more about multidisciplinary care and, and we'll see what we can do. Um, but we understand this is a problem. But there was still no responsibility for it. There was no, I'm so sorry, yes, this has been ignored. I'm so sorry, yes, we have been mishandling this. It was like, well, send, send us some more information and we'll see you know, what we can do. So I worked with Heather and a team... Uh, doctors, to um, we presented them um, a lot of research, and we presented them a revised practice bulletin. And you know their response. What I was hoping is that we could present the community can present them a problem. Right, we are in crisis. This is very serious, and it has to change immediately. And we need all of your resources. On this, we need you to do everything you possibly can to make sure that women don't suffer anymore, that they have informed consent of all the treatments available. Um, But unfortunately, we didn't get that response. Um, The most we got was that they thanked us for the research and the bulletin that we sent them. And they said, oh, you know what, we're going to give all of this to our practice committee. Um, to see if they feel that the bulletin needs to be revised. We know the bulletin needs to be revised. um, And we know they have a lot of programs in place that can absolutely reach out to their members to change care and to educate both patients and providers. Um, So we decided because of their lack of response, and it just feels like they're not taking this seriously, um, we decided that we're... The days that they're going to review the practice bulletin, the committee is meeting, we're going to show up on their doorstep and say, Hey, we're not going away. We're here and you need to do something about this immediately. We're not going to take it anymore. So
1: amazing. You know, I think part of the, the crux of the issue, part of the problem or, or the biggest problem, you know, ACOG represents over 50,000 OBGYNs in the United States. Of those 50,000 plus doctors, Maybe 150 are endometriosis specialists. So while they can say, yes, we're going to review this and we're going to review the data, we're going to do that, they're not representing the interests of their entire organization if they are to incorporate modern concepts into their guidelines, if they are to stop basing the guidelines on underpowered data uh, or information that's otherwise rooted in bias. They're not representing endometriosis at the table. So while they're reviewing guidelines and doing all of that, um, I dare say that they're just simply looking at the status quo with the same people that have shaped the narrative all along. No specialists are represented at that table. Um, and that is part of the the major issue. You know, you know. can't um, yeah. assume that all treatments are you know the same and and surgeons are are equal uh, all surgeries of a similar caliber Um, That just completely overlooks the incredible discrepancies that actually exist in treatment. Um, You cannot continue to reward outdated treatments and modalities, things like vaporization, ablation, hysterectomy, ineffective medical therapy. Um, You know, it's time to really cast a critical eye on those things and peel back that layer and say, well, what is the interest in you continuing to do that? to whom do you answer? Do you work for women and their health? Or do you work for industry and doctors who perhaps are rooted in the bias?
0: Yeah, completely. So with the the campaign, there's a few ways that people can get involved, isn't there?
2: Absolutely. You can go to um, lematteracog.com and mm-hmm. there's a way if you're in the Washington, D.C. area, you can come join us tomorrow and Friday on the doorstep of ACOG and join us in um, protesting. It's going to be a silent protest. We have banners and we will Thursday, stand Thursday all day there. Thursday and Friday.
1: Thursday and it's Friday. Tomorrow. Right? Oh,
2: tomorrow's Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. I'm not ready. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No, we won't. We won't be there tomorrow. Okay. Um, yeah. So if you could join us Thursday and Friday. Um, In Washington, D.C., that would be great. The other thing is not only are we protesting in person, but um, we are protesting virtually because we want all patients to be able to participate. And obviously, when you have a chronic disease that's associated with pain, you know, not everyone can get to D.C. So I think even more importantly, having an outcry on social media and tagging ACOG, on Twitter and on their Facebook page and sharing our story and sharing why things need to change and how this has hurt us is very important. Um, and then also the third way is to sign the petition um, and to, you know, put your name down as a person who feels that standards need to be changed immediately.
0: So what did you guys all come up with the campaign together or Heather, did you reach out um sorry, Casey, did you reach out? to like, how did you guys all come to decide that you were going to turn up on their doorstep? I
1: think, so.
2: I think it's like a collaborative, you know, I'm so grateful. I feel like, you know, Heather has been a great mentor and, um, you know, she's been doing this a long time. So she has helped, um, you know. Show us how to navigate uh, things, and she has been on board, which has been amazing. And you know, Shannon has been doing incredible efforts. So I think the three of us um, joined because we are like minded and feel passionately that in putting patients first. And luckily, we were also supported by all, all of the patient led groups and organizations in the community. So I was really proud that you know it's. It, it's not just the three of us. It's really all of the patients as a whole coming together, saying we we are not going to tolerate this anymore. Things need to change now. So I think just our similar values and wanting to put patients first really um, connected us with one another, and and really just trying to think together what are the best ways to put pressure on ACOG and. You know, what has been done in the past, what has worked, and what maybe new things we can try
1: to um, really impact change. Or what hasn't worked, as the case may be. And I think, like, more to Casey's point, um, you know, there are 10 or 11 or maybe more um, patient led organizations, and that that, that support this, and that's a really critical point, patient-led, um, because while there are many associations and organizations out there uh, who fancy themselves sort of the leader of the endometriosis world, we've waited for them to act, and they haven't, um, so I think it's, you know, I won't make any friends with this statement, certainly, but, you know, we're, we're not waiting for any white horses to ride in. We are the people <laughs> that we've been waiting for. We are the ones that are going to do it. Yeah. Um, and, and you know there's no guarantee of success but at least we know we went into this effort for the right reasons with the right goals in mind with integrity, with patience before profits and and really kind of going into the as, as with ownership, you know, from the patient perspective. Uh, because obviously, you know, we, we've been waiting. We've been waiting a long <laughs> so time. Now, now now is the time. Now is the time. And I think it's wonderful that, you know, groups and factions that perhaps don't get along necessarily in everyday life um, are really unified on this front. And that's a powerful statement.
0: Mm, yes, completely. And what would I mean, I know progress takes time um, and, you know, change can happen over several years. But what what would you be satisfied with, like the outcome of this campaign?
2: Well, I I think. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Obviously, our overall goal goal, right, is to change. I mean, we submitted to them a revised bulletin. You know, we would love for them to say, hey, this is a great bulletin we're going to put into practice. And we'd love them to educate all of their providers um, and use all of their resources to make sure that women do not suffer a delay in diagnosis, that women get the care that they need, um, that they have access. Um, But at the very least, I feel that we need a seat at the table. We need to be there when they're making decisions about our healthcare, um, because we have our, you know, the patient perspective and the patient point of view desperately needs to be a part of this because we know that everyone else has their own interest and, you know, they have things to lose and what to gain. They're, they're not only thinking about the patients. So, you know, patients need to be at the table when our care is being decided. So at the very least, that needs to be done.
1: I think both patients and the dedicated practitioners, because for while some OBGYNs, you know, this is endometriosis is sort of a secondary pursuit, but for practitioners who have dedicated their whole lives to it, they deserve to have their specialty recognized. Uh, You know, the most the most base critical challenges that persist in endometriosis are lack of factual education, a lack of awareness at the societal level, and perhaps more importantly is training for the next generation. We can't continue to teach the same things that we've already taught. When you continue to do the same things over and over, you're going to have the same outcomes. Um, so I think that you know having the non-specialist majority that continue to shape and inform our treatment options, and more importantly our payer guidelines, uh, really undermines the minority of true specialists who are capable of treating this disease, even if in its most complex of manifestations. I think if you put them at the table and you put the patients at the table, we can get past those outdated beliefs, um, many of which are outlined in ACOG's own materials constantly. Um, you know, we need to have the specialty recognized, and that needs to be reflected in the payer level as well so that patients have access to quality care, which many do not. Um, and we need to really cast, as I said earlier, a critical eye on the overall bias that goes into formulating these guidelines and, and these, you know, Protocols that that shape it for uh, you know eight million individuals in the country that need endometriosis care.
0: Absolutely, and for anyone who's not based in America, and you know they just want to support because, um, as we know, we're all kind of coming from all across the world to mm-hmm. raise our voices mm-hmm. here. So. We can all sign the petition and take. Oh yes, and you know, please do.
2: (laughs) Great. People from all over the world have signed the petition, so we welcome anyone to sign it, and we welcome you to virtually protest with us on Thursday and Friday as well, because you know standards need to change all over the world. So, and I'll be happy to stand in solidarity. Absolutely, with women in other countries
1: as they fight for their changes. I mean, look what they've accomplished in Australia, New Zealand, um, even Ireland has come light years, um, the UK. You know, we're really seeing patients making the progress, um, and, and there's no reason why that can't be achieved here. There, there can be no institution so powerful as to be the sole decider of how endometriosis is cared for and treatment is accessed. It just can't happen. You've got to be represented at that table.
0: And for anyone who you know, if someone's listening in a country where the treatment is really poor, what kind of advice would you give for anyone who wanted to start change where they lived?
1: As Nancy Peterson says, vote with your feet. Uh, you know, pick yourself up and be the change you want to see. Start connecting with like-minded people, just like we do here.
0: And and now we've got things like um, change.org and Ava, so you can start your own petitions. So that's obviously like a great way to you know, start from behind your laptop.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of tools that we did not have 20 or even, you know, 15 years ago. There are a lot of tools, um, you know, a lot of ways to collaborate and, and network um, and, and really make a difference locally, but also on a much broader scale as well.
3: Sorry, I, I wanted to get... Casey and Heather the floor here on a lot of this I know we wanted to talk about a lot of things but I hope um, you know we're working we're actually been filming this podcast because we're working on a second film that approaches endometriosis as a social justice issue and I've been following uh, five girls and women with the disease now for um, years actually um, to illustrate all of the things that we all go through. And all of the the roadblocks and the injustices. So uh, maybe we can also have a conversation when that film's released. And it's in the works. It's going to be finished soon and released
0: um, around the world. That's so exciting. We are waiting. <laughs> 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 okay. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to do that. So yeah, just get in touch and we can we can sort that out when that's ready to go. Thank you for being such an inspiration, guys. Like I'm so excited for Thursday and Friday and. I'll be yeah, I'll be online in your community, but I'm sad that I can't be with you in Washington.
1: Will we'll so protest for, for you? <laughs> thank
2: you. And thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. And um, it was such a pleasure chatting with
0: you, and we appreciate um, this opportunity to talk about our efforts. Oh, you're welcome. I'm just so thankful for everything that you guys are doing, awesome. and, and we are for you as well. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Have a lovely day, and um, have a great day, everybody. <laughs> and yeah hopefully we'll speak soon it's a deal take care bye bye so that's it thank you so much for listening if you like this podcast please rate review or subscribe it helps others to find the podcast or if you aren't sure about how to do that or you just don't have the time but you're on instagram Screen grab it, share it on Instagram. You never know who's following you who might have endometriosis or recognises a symptom in the podcast and realizes that they might have it. I am generally on Instagram, which is at this underscore endolife, and you can also read more about living with endometriosis and managing endometriosis on my website, thisendolife.com, and in my column endometriosis news thank you so much again for being here um as I said in the beginning of this episode this was like a special one-off episode um because I wanted to get it out in time for the protest so I am not back yet I will be soon in like a month or so so until then I hope you have a great April it's really raining right now that's kind of cozy so I don't mind But um, yeah, I hope you have some sunshine this April. See you soon!